Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start? I just, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In life itself, a memoir, Roger E. begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it, molded by it. The audio surrounded me. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. First, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, Sarah Black. We're here to talk about Group 6, Birdman versus Synecdoche, New York. I'm Robert, host of Life is a Playlist. And I'm Sarah, host of this podcast, Cock and Bull, also host of Annihilation Minute, The Room Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, and some other things. And together we do pump up the minute, uh, running three days a week right now. Go with listen. I guess Birdman will start with, full title Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which is, uh, I forget the year now, movie directed and written by Alexander, Alejandro Enrique. And it's 2014. 2014, thank you. You're welcome. He did have a co-writer, and now I forgot the name. It was something Italian. But we don't care about co-writers, do we? Well, in in terms of these two movies, I think everyone considers this very much an Inaritu film. I mean, we tend to favor directors anyway, and this is, uh, Synecdoche is Kaufman's first time directing his script, so that's definitely a Kaufman film, because he's doing both parts. So in these two films, we have two theater directors going through midlife crises, both who say they want to put their real selves into something. Yeah. The difference... They are just in that little bit of premise is that Riggin in Birdman is not a theater director. That's part of the problem is that he's trying to be a theater director, writer, and star when all he's been is a film actor played by Michael Keaton and essentially playing a sort of version of himself because he used to play Birdman in popular films and Michael Keaton used to play Batman in popular films. He didn't do the third one and in in this he did do the third one but he didn't do the fourth one I think because he didn't do Birdman 4. And then his career's kind of fallen or fallen down since. Oh, but making the character a theater director is a good way to illustrate that 
midlife crisis or flipping from acting where essentially he's being told what to do to him attempting to take some control over his life. Yeah. And in a way, um, Caden is kind of the opposite because he is a theater director at the beginning. He's just directed Death of a Salesman and then goes on to direct something that isn't quite theater because it takes what 50 years to do and never has an audience or is its own audience. It's, it's not theater. It's yeah. something entirely different. It's life. Yeah. <laughs> so in the beginning of Birdman, we have the visuals of the black and red letters appearing. Oh, on yeah, the to screen. the drum beats. Yeah. Which is a cool way to start the drum beats, but it's also a similar concept just visually as the drum beats, just that appearance. I don't know how to explain that exactly, but it just kind of like a keystroke or a drum mm-hmm. beat. They have a similar type of yeah. <laughs> They're all energy fleeting and temporary. Yeah. <laughs> The term that just came to mind was a flash in the pan sort of thing, like that brief bit of fame where you you almost were something and then you weren't. And Riggins sort of trying for that. And depends on how you interpret the ending. Failing? (laughs) Spectacularly? Or succeeding while possibly dying? Who knows? Well, if you could guess. Yeah. And that would also connect well with Synecdoche. I think of... Yes. All of Sorry, your... my enthusiastic yeah. nodding does not record on audio. <laughs> yeah. I think of all your pairings, these two films fit thematically very well together. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a bunch of the pairings and people who listened to that episode where I made the 36 pairs or the 18 pairs. Some of them were just like, oh, I guess that has to go there. Like Punch Drunk Love and Halloween just kind of edited up yeah. together because there was no, nothing that matched either of them. And then this was one of the ones where it was like, yeah, those two go together. Because, yeah, they're about, uh, as you said, mid- men in midlife crisis trying to create something and end up being also about the process of the creation of themselves, so the films, I mean. Yeah. Which Charlie Kaufman things tend to be a lot. I think we were just talking about that yesterday, that he tends to make films that take place mostly or entirely inside someone's head. Yeah. Let us know if you'd like to see a Charlie Kaufman collection of movies by minute because it would just be so much fun to spend (laughs) that much time in characters heads but yeah we were talking about that yesterday and being john malkovich and anomalisa and i'm thinking of ending things and of course synecdoche and eternal sunshine of course they're all essentially a look inside my thought for (laughs) synecdoche to being john malkovich would be one malkovich at a time Mm-hmm. So every time we see a new Malkovich, which it's a new episode, yeah. <laughs> which would be a lot of episodes for that one restaurant scene, but that's okay. So next to New York would be, I was thinking one extra at a time. Oh, wow. That would be a lot of episodes <laughs> too. Doesn't he have 50 million people in there? 13, 13 million. million. Yeah. 13 million people. Uh, so once, yeah, once we're in his theater thing, it's going to get a little crazy. Actually, even at Death of a Salesman, that audience is made up of extras. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do like a 100 episode stretch, just about Death of a Salesman. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I could do that. My English degree will come in handy there. Essentially, we'll do Death of a Salesman <laughs> yeah. minute and go backward. And yeah. I don't know what the other ones were. Adaptation. It can't be one deranged internal rant at a time because that's the whole movie. Or it's just one really, really one adaptation long. Yeah. <laughs> So we have Death of a Salesman in Synecdoche, but we have the Raymond Carver story that's been adapted 
strangely yes very strangely adapted. <laughs> the story is just them having that conversation at the table so before we get into raymond carver a little bit though we should talk about how we or how they rather go from the percussionistic letters appearing on the screen and drumbeat to him floating above the blanket mm, yeah it's contrasting the hitting versus the floating. I don't know. Oh, just yeah, because it gets very <laughs> quiet as a visual. It's implies like meditation, like magical realism immediately. Yeah, which then cuts to... And we hear a voice from nowhere because Birdman talks Is to that him. what I call the angry voice? Because it flips between the drumbeat and then yeah. the angry voice. Yeah. In the script, it's just man, <laughs> but, it's, just but it, Birdman. it's Birdman yeah. talking to him because he used to be Birdman. And I think maybe you'll remember this better because you tend to remember visuals better. I think it's on the mirror in the dressing room. I don't remember what it's written on, but it says a thing is a thing, not what is said of the thing. Yes, it's on the yeah. mirror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so already they're establishing existentialism mm-hmm. as a theme, which there are, not to discredit these two films, which are both great, but there's there are a lot of films that are the white 40-something male existentialist in midlife crisis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... That part of these films is not original. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The way these films are is original. But that particular concept or idea in filmmaking, yeah, certainly not original. But this existentialist idea in finding the inherent truth in something, which there's also a counter-argument to that later on in the film, he says a thing is a thing, not what is said of the thing. But then later, I don't remember the exact quotes, but they're discussing how the only thing that really matters about the play is how people and especially how the critics will view it. Which means, I don't know, it seems counter to a thing. What is a thing is a thing. What is not? Now I'm not tripping over this line. Not what is yes. said of the thing. Yeah, the, the saying it is what is said play. of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the play is the one exception. Yeah, so we not only have this existentialist idea, we also have an argument about, we're supposed to think about whether that's true or not. I, I don't know what you have in your notes. I don't have any notes other yeah. than some screen caps from the screenplays and the short story. But that just made me think about objects in Birdman, like how certain objects matter to specific scenes, like the gun when he doesn't mm-hmm. have it, or his daughter's toilet paper roll. And those little specks on each one. Yes. Which represent people, right? Yeah. Those those 13 million extras from Synecdoche. And the joint that he finds and assumes is hers. You know, there's there's objects that mean different, even the card that says, Mm -hmm. like, the thing is not a thing. Or his Birdman poster that the crew gave him as a gift, but all it does is bother him that it's there. It seems more that they're arguing the opposite. It is what is said of the thing. But, but that is his internal struggle because he's been, he's been told and is treated like he's Birdman all of these years, even when he goes out. That's all people want. Yeah. Is, they want photos yeah. With <laughs> yeah. With Birdman. And so he's struggling to find that identity. Who is he? Does he have some inherent identity or is he what others have ascribed to him? And that, my friends, conference is symbolic interactionism. <laughs> so when, <laughs> When I teach symbolic interactionism theory, a big part of that is, or how I have students start to think about symbolic interactionism theory is 
you just write down 10 words that come to mind when you say, I am. And then you flip that and you say, you can either, well, usually the way that I do this is to say, think of the person closest to you. And then once you have the image of that person in your mind, you say, that person thinks I am. And you write down the 10 words that come to mind. And you can do a couple of things with this. One, you see how many noun type versus adjective type words you have. So if when you say I am, you're saying like, I am a teacher, I am a friend, I am a daughter, I am a, then it indicates that you're defining yourself a lot by your relationships, which isn't yeah. an inherently bad thing. It's just, that's the way that your brain is. That's how processed. labels work off. Yes. But if you're saying I am and using adjectives, I am strong, I am a basket case, I am whatever it is <laughs> that you're saying, then you're ascribing not feelings exactly. I can't think of the word that. <laughs> and then also doing a comparison between who you think you are or what you're ascribing to yourself versus what other people think you are. Because a lot of times, especially with my students, they'll find that they're much harsher on themselves. But then when they think about how they're viewed from the outside, they're much kinder. Mm. Like they might think that they're angry or a procrastinator or a terrible student or whatever, but the person who loves them thinks they're amazing. And it just has you shift your thinking and just, but also just about how our identities are formed and how we continue to negotiate and renegotiate those identities through the people that we're in relationship with. And I think this film talks about that a lot. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. Chloe's perception was so, so clearly different. Her picture looked like somebody I thought I would want to talk to and be friends with, like a happy, light, much younger, much brighter person. It's troubling. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Our self-perceptions are generally kind of harsh and unbecoming when really that's not how the world sees us. We see how he's negotiating those relationships with his ex-wife, with his daughter, with... I'm forgetting the name of who I refer to as Mandy in my notes because he said she played Mandy. Laura? <laughs> but, yeah. Or Laura's ex-wife. Someone's name is Laura. It's Andrea Riseborough's character. That's the actress. Laura. Yeah. And I was thinking even in his scene later with the critic herself in terms of negotiating identity, because she says that a washed up celebrity like him has no business even trying to direct a play. Yeah. She's going to, what, does she say she's going to destroy his play? Yes. But she hasn't even seen it yet. Yeah. (laughs) So. Well, there's something I noticed last night reading the Carver story in the, the other things like when he has that line. Oh my God. What's the actual Carver? It's one of my screen caps. And. Raymond Carver's story is what we talk about when we talk about love. Yeah. Uh, the, I'm the wrong person to ask. I didn't even know the man. I heard his name mentioned in passing. I wouldn't know. You'd have to know the particulars. But I think what you're saying is that love is an absolute. That's the direct line from the story that he is repeating each sentence. And 
Mike comes in and convinces him to change it. When this is a Raymond Carver adaptation of a story that's not that long, needs all that dialogue <laughs> to work. And he tr- makes him turn that into like one sentence. So he's, he's even his own adaptation of the play is being altered. Like that new version of himself is being altered by this new actor he brings in. Yeah. And that does make sense because who we are, and this is part of symbolic interactionism theory as well, is always changing and being renegotiated. You can have a 30 year relationship and one conversation can change the entire. Oh yeah trajectory of that relationship from there on out so there really isn't any static identity either within oneself or in one's relationship with others i just realized that's kind of the movie yeah (laughs) (laughs) different versions where he of him not knowing himself and then someone comes in and changes the line for him (laughs) which is until the until the end when he starts drinking again and sort of takes control yeah drunkenly he's just being pushed around by i mean even the director is this con- constant appearance of a continuous shot. So he, he always has to be somewhere at a specific time, and that drum beat is just beating and beating and beating. Yeah, which in the drum beat is not only beating and beating and beating. We see it, the drum beat growing in intensity. Mm-hmm. The, the speed of the drum beat changes yep. with his... <laughs> and, we, and we see the drummer his mood. more than once. Yeah. <laughs> and that is also true. Outside forces are a huge part of directing or even when we're trying to direct and control our own lives Mm -hmm. take with COVID because of COVID neither one of us have been inside of a classroom for months and probably won't be until later next year if who knows at all like we don't know just and those outside forces shape our identities more than we even want to admit sometimes because people want to feel like they have control over their own lives oh definitely (laughs) (laughs) So about this story, though, what we talk about when we talk about love, for those who might not know, because I didn't even know, I read some Raymond Carver as a college student, but we never read this story in particular. But it's a very dark story where they're discussing whether a woman, Terry's husband who abused her, loved her, and whether love constitutes, or whether abuse can constitute love. and. Also, if people move on after love, and if love is only a memory because people move on, was it ever love in the first place? And at the end of the story, Mel, I think, is... No, that's one of the things in the story. Well, Mel is in the story. No, Mel is in the The story. story, yes, Mel. And Mel does... In the play, it's not Mel at the end. No, no, no. Yeah, in, in the play, it's not Mel at the end, but in the story, it's Mel at the end. And Mel dissociates and hears everyone's hearts beating very loud, which is another percussionistic Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) for tone here. And he says all the conversation just becomes human noise. I could hear my heart beating. I could hear everyone's heart. I could hear the human noise we sat there making, not one of us moving, not even when the room went dark. And then that's the end of the story. It's very abrupt, too. Yes, Especially in the copy I had, it was literally turn the page to that sentence. I'm like, did it skip a page? Because it just went from them still talking to, oh, okay, it's over. (laughs) And life is kind of like that, too. Mm. Drugs are like that, too. And both films, to a degree, discuss that. And both plays. We think we, yeah, (laughs) true. We think that we have all the time in the world. We know that we're mortal, but at the same time, we 
don't really live our day-to-day lives as if we are, because if we did, that would probably make those of us, especially who are prone to, I know craziness isn't a great ableist word as somebody who is, maybe I can claim it, I don't know, but it's like crazy. <laughs> who suffer from health, become, uh, yes. mental health issues. <laughs> As a person who if suffers. If you need one word, we could, it'd be handy to have one word for it. As a no person one uses it well. suffers is kind of me. As a person who navigates and negotiates <laughs> with my own mental health struggles every yeah. day, being that cognizant of our own morality every moment, because people say, mortality? Each, mortality. Wow. That was a Freudian slip. <laughs> we won't go down that rabbit hole right now, but if we're confronted by our, our own mortality every single day, that would make it that much more difficult to function. So it's like this thing that's always there. We know that time is finite. We know that there will be an abrupt end and all endings are abrupt. People talk about this when they talk about death where people say, oh, well, they were sick for 20 years or they were sick for, Mm -hmm. you know, this extended length of time. So you had time to negotiate and process it. But all death, I would argue, is abrupt. Even if the person had been sick for a long time, even if the you knew or it was just old age and you knew that death is coming. It's still abrupt. <laughs> when I edit this, I'm going to be trying to figure out what movie or TV show that line was where the person's like, yeah, he went very quickly. And they're like, he had cancer for eight years. And like, yeah, but right at the end, it was it was very abrupt. Yes, that's true, and, though. <laughs> I think it's a sitcom, which is going to make it even harder to find. Oh, man. It's a shame about it. Oh, it was. That was really a shame. It goes so suddenly like that. He's dying for years. Sure, but uh, the end was very, very sudden. He was in intensive care for eight weeks. Yeah, but I mean the very end, when he actually died, that was extremely sudden. Uh, Now, we can get more into it next time, because we're coming up on the end of this episode. But I I like where that's going, because like people are defining each other by the other characters, and the one who sort of doesn't, in Birdman at least, Mike, is an asshole. (laughs) The whole time. Because he just says and does whatever he wants and tells other people what to do. He defines other people around him. Even though he's, as he tells Riggins' daughter, uh, Sam, he, the only thing that's real for him is when he's playing character. So even for him, he's got that same sort of crisis going on. His just, he's figured out how to navigate it in a horrible way. That's useful as neck. Anything else you need to get in under the wire for this first episode? No, I did want to talk about Mike for a bit, but we can save that for the next episode. So you want to tell the audience where they can hear more of you? Oh, well, we did this at the top of the broadcast. Yes. They can hear me at Annihilation Minute. Okay, so (laughs) so I'm actually the host of Life as a Playlist, my podcast where I tell life stories and provide social commentary on current events two songs, two top 40 billboard hits at a time. And you can follow me on all my social media pages. As you said at the beginning of this, I am the host of, well, actually you didn't list them all. I feel like trying. Let's see. Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute, The Room Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute. I'm forgetting one. I'm forgetting one. Two Minutes About Time, and then currently Cock and Bowl and Annihilation Minute, and Pump Up the Volume, Pump Up the Minute, which we do together. And others in the future. You can see links to all of those things at lemmingdrops.com. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute. 
Find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a Mandalorian. Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of the coward. The, uh, it's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You're still here? You just don't turn it off! It's over. Go home. Go.